So today, I want to talk about missions. I think that most of us know that missions is important. Uh, chances are that you have heard that uh, great commission by the Lord Jesus Christ, who said, go and make disciples of all nations. But when it comes to the question of how we actually live our lives each week in order to reach out to our non-Christian friends, whether here in local or somewhere in a distant nation, there's a certain challenge. And certainly there's a challenge of our limitation. Uh, we're limited physically and emotionally as we live through the demands of life week after week. And there's just much left after that. Other challenge might be the sense of inadequacy. We might be feeling like uh, you don't have enough skills uh, or that you don't have strong enough of faith. But I don't think that any of these are the main challenge, main thing that is keeping us from actively engaging in God's missions. The greatest challenge, I think, is a matter of the heart. That our own heart somehow fails to see missions as a true and urgent priority in life for various reasons. And what's more, we often fail to actually want to tell others about Jesus. Maybe because we're not experiencing Jesus enough to be passionate about him so that naturally, you know, you don't care so much about others to know him. And, and here I am this morning to openly say that this can be my problem too. Just because we're vocational missionaries, maybe last 20 years or so, it never means that we're above all these challenges. So this morning, my desire, my prayer, my hope is that I'd like us to once again look to our God in His Word together so that His Spirit would renew our hearts through it. And in so doing, we've got some hard and honest self-examination to do as well. And I want you to be prepare for that. But my prayer is that at the end of it all, that we would end up worshiping our God together. This morning, we'll go to the book of Jonah, and the main points of God's message this morning will come from the last part of the book, chapter 4, but first I'd like to first walk you through the first three chapters, and I try to do that as briefly as possible, because you're going to need that contextual understanding to appreciate the God's message in the chapter 4 of that book. Many of you are familiar with the story of Jonah. It's, in fact, one of the most beloved stories that appears in children's Bibles, isn't it? Um, but the book offers a much more profound lesson than a small child can typically remember from reading the story of Jonah. And that is something like, you know, Jonah gets swallowed up, swallowed up by a big fish and and gets to live in, in its belly for three days and three nights. And that's definitely there, but there's so much more. The book of Jonah is a story about a prophet who bitterly resented the fact that God loves and cares for evil people. And here's a little background. Jonah was a prophet back in the 8th century before Christ in the northern kingdom of Israel during the reign of Jeroboam II. Now, Jeroboam II was a wicked king. Israel never had a good king. He was one of the bad kings. And so we can imagine Jonah's ministry having much to do with calling the king and, and the people who were living under his influence to repentance. You can imagine, can't you? But outside of the book of Jonah itself, there's not a lot of mention of him. In fact, the book of 2 Kings, chapter 14, 
is the only other place in the Bible where his name is mentioned. And he says in there, concerning um, Israel's great territorial recovery in the north at the time of Jeroboam II, that it happened according to the prophecy delivered by Jonah, the son of Amittai, highlighting the fact that Israel's great military success was not because of the ability of any human king, but instead it was done according to God's gracious purpose. And all this is to say that Jonah was a good prophet. And I say this because the book of Jonah does portray Jonah pretty critically. But Jonah was a good, a good prophet who served and loved God of Israel and loved Israel, his nation, and desired to see his people prosper in faithfulness under God. But this time, God asks Jonah to go to Nineveh, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And this becomes a problem for Jonah. Why? Because Nineveh was an important city of Assyria, and Assyria is a foreign nation, and not just any foreign nation, but it was the looming world power and a cruel enemy of the Israelites that would just eventually come to northern Israel and smash it where he was and his people lived only a few decades later. And they were being evil, as it says right here. So Jonah has little concern for these people, honestly. First, he had his own people still needing to learn and repent, to walk before God. And second, why would Jonah have any concerns for these distant and aggressive foreigners who he'd much rather see punished than helped? Quite honestly, in the case of Jonah, he actually disliked the idea that God had any concern for these people and was seeming to give them a chance to repent and be saved. So he says in chapter 1, verse 3, that when God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach God's message there, Jonah rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. And he finds a ship and gets on it. It's bound for Tarshish. You know the story probably. And Tarshish is um, located way to the west of where he was, which is the just the opposite direction from, uh, from Nineveh, where it was, which was in the east. But you know how the story goes. God sends a great wind, so great that it almost destroyed the ship that Jonah was on. And when that happens, all the pagan sailors, pagan sailors, important characters in the story, pagan sailors on the ship desperately try to save themselves by doing everything they know how and everything that they could. They cried out to their gods for help. They threw their cargo to the sea to lighten up the vessel. And they even cast lots to find out whose fault this was. This horrible thing was happening to them. All the things that they know how, all the things that they could, they did to save themselves. And the lot falls right on Jonah. Jonah tells them that this disaster sent by his God, the Lord, because Jonah had rebelled against him. And what happens next is, is truly incredible and definitely a highlight in the book of Jonah. These pagan sailors, having recognized the power and wrath of Jonah's God, the God of Israel, the Lord, they now desperately cry out to him instead of whatever gods that they were worshiping and trusting in until that point. In verse 14, therefore, uh, they cried out, uh, sailors cry out to the Lord, Lord, O Lord, let us not perish in this man's life, for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done 
it as it pleased you. And you've got to keep in mind that this capital L-O-R-D in the English Bible translates the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is a proper name. Proper name, like Shige. Um, it's a personal name of the God of Israel, which is a foreign God to these pagan people. They were not familiar with this God, but now they see his awesome power and wrath, and they quickly realize that they better switch their allegiance to this God, Yahweh. So he continues, So they, they sailors, the pagan sailors, picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and, and the sea seized from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. It's like Buddhists and Muslims and Hindus and communists and secularists, you name it, coming to fear and worship Jesus. These pagan sailors learned that salvation is not found in crying out to their whatever gods or whatever things that they were trusting in or making their very best human effort or anything like that, but only in turning to this God of Israel, the Lord. These pagans got it. But Jonah, the man of God, who was supposed to know God better than anyone else in that scene, when all these incredible things are happening, didn't care. And angry and depressed gets numbly hurled into the sea and into the belly of the great fish. He goes. So here comes a big fish, verse 17. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And that's chapter 1. And I should go a little faster from here. The chapter 2 is mostly made of Jonah's prayer from the belly of the fish. So far, ironically, it's only those pagans praying to the Lord. But now, finally, Jonah talks to his God. Then Jonah prayed, it says, to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Jonah comes back, comes back to his senses. He recognized God's sovereign, dreadful, and yet gracious power that's behind the great waves and winds and even to hurl Jonah into the great raging sea, all to graciously to lead him back to God. And Jonah offers a sincere thanksgiving to God for saving his life out of an utterly impossible situation and worships God. And having experienced God's incredible deliverance, Jonah prays, but with the voice of thanksgiving, I will uh, I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will pay, and he declares, salvation belongs to the Lord. And at that, the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out out on the dry land. Then chapter three begins with the Lord reissuing his call to Jonah. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Jonah finally goes to Nineveh this time and starts preaching in the city, saying, In forty days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. The result of Jonah's delivering God's message to this city could not be more stunning. As soon as Jonah gets 
preaching, amazingly, the people of Nineveh actually respond to God's message of warning from the greatest to the least of the city. In hearing the word, even the king of Nineveh issues an edict that no one, no animal even, was to eat or drink. Everyone was to repent of their evil ways, pleading with God maybe to forgive them. And Jonah 3.10 says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And that finally gets us to chapter 4, the climax of the book. At the beginning of my message this morning, I pointed out a certain problem that we all are facing when it comes to following God's mission in this world, and that is the matter of our heart. We've heard many times that God wants all people of the world to turn to Him, and He wants us to be part of that work. But the hard reality is that our hearts often fail to see this as a true priority, as something that we actually desire to do urgently. How would God help us in this? How would God help us in this? Clearly, a mere twisting of arms won't do. The remedy from His Word this morning, I believe, is twofold. Confess and behold. Confess the truth of your heart that the Spirit of God reveals to you through His Word and behold God in worship. The solution must be a heart transformation. How we live in everything that we do, in everything, in every day, in every week is dictated by what our heart truly values and loves. Mere behavior modification will not do it is, our heart that, it is our heart that needs transformed. And there's no new or flashy solution to that. And the transformation of the heart comes from these two very good things. Confess and behold. So let me read to you the chapter 4 of the book of Jonah. But it, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I may haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life and from, from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he, he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, 
Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in the night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? First, let's notice something that is obviously clear and incredibly wrong. Jonah, a prophet of God, is angry over God's sparing of Nineveh. When it says in verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, that it there refers to the Ninevites repenting and God deciding not to send a disaster that he said he would. And this made Jonah so mad that he wanted to die. And you gotta, you got to stop there and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, what's going on? How can this be? And these Assyrians repented and God decided to spare them. Isn't this a good thing? And how in the world can then Jonah be so unhappy and angry over such a wonderful thing? We thought Jonah came to his senses sincerely back in the belly of that great fish and he's a prophet of God for goodness sakes. Cold-hearted? Immature? For sure. Probably. But we should also notice here that a major factor that led Jonah to sin, and by sin I mean the sin of rebellion against God's express will and the sin of being bitterly resentful about God's kindness toward wicked people, a major factor that led Jonah to these sins was probably his unbiblical nationalism. The book of Jonah portrays him as an ardent nationalist, pro-Israelite and anti-foreign. Whatever advanced Israel and contributed to the decline or defeat of its enemies, he would have preferred. While there's nothing wrong about loving your people and your nation, defending it when you must, Jonah's exclusive concern for his own nation and his people only had blinded him of God's true concern for the people of all other nations as well. And he had made him into a stubborn man who is locked into his own agenda, his own idea of what's right and acceptable, with a sad result that he was no longer able to approve of what is actually good, what is actually truly good in God's sight. And this can be my problem too. But submit to you, friends, Let us be aware of getting trapped into this situation. Make sure that whatever controlling convictions that you have are actually from God. And as for Jonah, he had forgotten the very reason why God's people existed in the first place, which was to be the light of the world by their faithfulness to God, proclaiming His love and truth in in their word and deed, practicing justice, and so to be the channel for God's blessing to all nations on earth, even to the ones that seem evil and unworthy to them. And now this Jonah, who was exceedingly displeased 
is now seen to be exceedingly glad very quickly after that by this little plant that gave him a comfort from the scorching east wind and sent by God and the sun that was beating down on his head. But then what happens? The next morning, the little, this little worm, again sent by God, attacks the plant, and the plant dies. Jonah is again burning under the beating sun and once again wishes his death in anger. He says, it is better for me to die than to live. What word would you describe? What word would you use to describe Jonah? Inconsistent? Foolish? Selfish? But this is me. This is us. The word of God is a mirror. It sharply and painfully reveals the truths of our own hearts, the truths that we'd never dare to face on our own through these people that show up in the Bible. And here God puts Jonah in front of us for us to honestly recognize our own inconsistent and foolish nature. And when the Holy Spirit graciously reveals us these painful truths about ourselves, what should we do? We must confess it. Don't deny it like it's not there or it's not your problem. May we be humble enough and willing enough to accept it and say, I repent of it, Lord. Thank you for showing this to me. I did not see that in me. Lord, please help me. And whenever you're finally able to come out of the hard shell of denial of blindness, those become the moment. Those moments become the key points in our spiritual journey to become more like Jesus, to become a kind of person whom God will use for his purposes on earth. But that's not all. In order for our hearts to be transformed, confession must be coupled with beholding. Beholding our God, looking to Him, who He is, what kind of a God that He reveals Himself to be in His Word. It is when we see God that we have the greatest chance of getting a heart like His, that we can become, we can make a progress toward being conformed to His image. So, what have we got here? First, even though Jonah does not care about the city or the people who live there, we have a God here who does. And although Nineveh is evil, this is really amazing. Amazingly, God's heart for them is greater still. And he purposes that Nineveh be saved. And he makes sure that his messenger gets there to the city in spite of the messenger's weakness or his active resistance to the express will. Look with me how unrelenting God is to bring salvation to the Ninevites. First, it was God who initiates the call of Jonah to go to Nineveh in the first place and to direct Jonah to Nineveh in spite of his best effort to run away from God. God sends a great wind on the ship. And when sailors try to understand whose responsibility this was, this whole thing was happening by casting lots, God makes sure that Jonah gets picked. And God appoints a great fish to swallow up Jonah to preserve his life and to give him the time to repent. And God speaks to the fish to vomit Jonah out on the dry land leading to Nineveh. I'm sure he smelled awesome. And after Jonah is on the land again, God again issues his call that Jonah is to go to that great city and preach there. And here's a question. 
Why do you think that God would go all this pain, all this pain, to send his messenger for the sake of people who do not deserve? And the answer has to be, that's just because who our God is. That's who he is. Having his compassion on those who don't deserve it is most naturally him. Even though even Jonah knew that, he said, I knew, he said, that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and bounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. And I receive encouragement for my own soul from here. God, the Almighty, the sovereign creator of the universe, has a personality. And his personality is gracious, merciful, patient, loving, benevolent. His heart for us and for you. That's who God is. If we could poke him, so to speak, these are what would come out of him first because that's who he most naturally is. The final two verses of the book of Jonah reveals this character of God most powerfully, and it is shown by a stark contrast to that of Jonah. Let me read verse 10 and 11 again of chapter 4. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into a being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Jonah's main concern was the plant which had given him a comfort from the heat. The plant made him exceedingly happy and later exceedingly angry. And all that shows just how much of Jonah's heart had gone into the plant doesn't it? But by contrast, God's heart had gone to these actual people. Actual people. Broken and trapped in their sins. In his, his tender love for the Ninevites had filled his heart with compassion wanting them to be forgiven, wanting them to be spared from the judgment that His righteousness requires, and wanting them to be restored to Himself. It's like His heart crying out, yearning, they don't know what they're doing. Someone has to go there. Someone has to tell them. Here we see illustrated one of the Bible's most important statements about God, and that is, He is love. His fundamental attitude towards sinners is loving yearning, yearning for them to turn to Him and be saved and be made whole in Him. You may ask, well, well then, what about the wrath of God and judgment that's so spoken, often spoken of in the Bible? Yes, Absolutely. He's righteously wrathful towards sinners, and we don't really understand how the eternal love can coexist with that wrath, that righteous wrath towards sinners. 
And he does judge sin and evil very decisively when he finally has to. In fact, Nineveh itself will come under that. We read in, later in the Bible, in the book of Nahum, where that exact thing, exact thing happens because, very unfortunately, Nineveh would turn back to their own evil ways only a few decades later. And at that point, there's no more relenting possible. But we still need to know that our God is most fundamentally loving and compassionate and being merciful to sinners is always what first comes out of God and that is what we see here in Jonah. And that is, by the way, also the heart of God for non-Christians today in all nations and in all cultures. But God's compassion toward Nineveh is not the only thing that we should notice about God in our beholding of him. God's gracious dealing with Jonah reveals who, just, who he is just as much. You see, Jonah should have been disqualified a long time ago to be used by God. There are just too many flaws about him. He was selfish, he was stubborn, he, his view of God was kind of inaccurate, and he got angry and depressed a lot, like me. But you see, God was not going to give up on using Jonah. God easily could have chosen to send a replacement instead, but he would not. Instead, God patiently uses the wind, the waves, the fish, the plant, the worm, the sun, the east wind, and by speaking to him directly and gently to him, to open Jonah's eyes to his hard and unpleasant truth and to show him who God is. And to teach Jonah that to God, even though Jonah is difficult, he's never, he's never an expendable pawn in his global chess game, if you will. But rather, Jonah too is his beloved child. And to show him that in spite of all his major flaws, God still wanted to use Jonah to save a people. Jonah later does recognize all these things, I think, and that's why he can humbly write this embarrassing and yet divinely inspired autobiography as a genuine Israelite prophet. God continues to use Jonah today. Praise the Lord. To finish with, today is Pentecost Sunday. In the Old Testament times, this was called either one of the three following ways. First of all, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Harvest, and the Day of the First Fruits. The Old Testament Israel, who were an agricultural people, recognized the Lord as a provider of all crops and as the one who deserves all the first fruits of all produce. This Old Testament celebration ultimately pointed toward the spiritual harvest of all nations, which began to happen on the day of Pentecost in the New Testament. The day of Pentecost was when the uh, promised Holy Spirit was powerfully, wonderfully poured onto the church, onto Jesus' disciples on the 50th day of Jesus' ascension into heaven. And on that day, the Bible says, that there were people from every nation under heaven, that's what it says in Acts 2.5, in Jerusalem. 
these people heard Peter speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit about Jesus Christ, whom God, in the deepest love that the world has ever known, sent to die on that cross to bear our sins for us and to rise on the third day, and that through believing in him, this Jesus Christ, people of any and every nation, of every culture and every era can be forgiven of their sins to receive the spiritual adoption of the status as the beloved children of God in his family, eternal life, forgiveness, the gift of Holy Spirit by believing in the, Holy, in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that day, about 3,000 of them received this message and were gathered into church as a fulfillment of the Old Testament feast of the harvest and the day of first fruits, which with much more spiritual harvest like it expected to follow in generations to come from all nations. Today, just like Jonah was commissioned by God to go to Nineveh and deliver his message, we also find ourselves today commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ to go and make disciples of all nations so that they too can be brought into the kingdom of God. But never out of our own strength, but by the wonderful, powerful power of the Holy Spirit who so wonderfully resides inside of us, inside of his church. Just as how God was the one to provide all the crops for Israel, today he will also be the one to provide all the spiritual harvest of people coming to Christ through our evangelism, through our lives. But here's what I want to leave you with. But the response to this question belongs to you and I. Will you be like Jonah? Or will you, by faith, surrender your life to God and say, anywhere, anything, Lord, send me. I'm here to do your will. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for who you are. Thank you so much for the privilege of of worshiping you, knowing you through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that you know our frames, just like we sang earlier, that we are just but a dust. You know our weakness, you know our limitation, you know our inconsistency, but thank you so much, Lord, that you would not give up on us. You will wisely and sovereignly lead us, use our lives in spite of our weakness to change people, to transform a city. So I pray for my brothers and sisters of First Free, that they be blessed with that faith that comes from your spirit, to be able to say, yes, Lord, anything, anywhere, I'll follow you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.